Hey everybody, welcome to the Intermind Podcast with your host, Shereen Wilson, Intermind Specialist and Health Expert. This is a podcast dedicated to discussing topics around the mind and the body, talking about all things regarding success, entrepreneurship, health and love and relationships, sharing stories, insights, new perspectives and tools on how you can get out of your head and start creating the life you want today because success is easy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Inner Mind Podcast. I am so excited to have a special guest today. Uh, I heard him first, of course, on Clubhouse. Um, he has blown my mind. He's an expert in uh, social psychology, and his name is Owen Fitzpatrick, and he is a globe trotting speaker international bestseller author, and social psychologist who's spoken to audiences in 30 different countries. He is one of the world's leading authorities on influence, storytelling, and social psychology. He has worked with billionaires, Fortune 100 companies, and Olympic athletes. Owen is the author of eight books and is well known for his TED Talk, uh, his TEDx talk, Mind Control, which has been viewed more than 1.3 million times. Owen has spoken on thousands of stages over his 25-year career and is an avid researcher in social, psych social psychology and an expert in implementing NLP. And I am just, I am over the moon to have you. I am a little starstruck. <laughs> I have heard you speak. I've listened to your podcast. I haven't read your books yet, um, but I will after today probably go order some. And so Owen, thank you for being here and yeah, I just so appreciate you taking your time because I know you're busy and you're going to do another talk right after my podcast. So I'm excited to get down and dirty and get into it with you. So thanks, thanks so much, Shireen. Lovely, lovely to hear. And uh, again, um, uh, honored and, and delighted to be to be uh, on the podcast today. Excellent. Awesome. So, Owen, I I want to know, so just for the audience, tell me a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you have achieved some incredible things. Uh, you have some great accolades, but how did you get to where you are? You're in New York, and how did you become this expert in social psychology? And if anybody has heard him, he makes it really simple. He explains the mind and, and how it works in a very simple way that makes it very relatable. So how did you get into social psychology and what you do today? So um, I suppose the first thing is uh, I've been fascinated with psychology since I was a teenager. So when I was a teenager, I was uh, quite depressed, uh, very a lot of confidence issues to the point that I was even su suicidal for a while. Um, and I think a lot of people have that same journey. It's that you're driven to uh, uh, needing the help that something like psychology or in my case, psychology and NLP and hypnosis and all that, those kind of things um, can do for you. So. I got driven to that by the need that I had to be able to somehow um, handle my own mental health. And this was at a very early age. I mean, I was 13 when I first read a book on 12 or 13 when I first read a book on NLP and hypnosis. Um, I started studying hypnotherapy and became qualified when I was, I think, just about 17 or so, 16 or 17. So I was uh, doing it in, uh, uh, you know, at a very early age I had to get special permission or to do it. Um, and then studied human development first in, in university and then went on to study psychology and did up to a master's. And all the way as I was doing that, I was also, you know, learning about NLP and learning about hypnosis and working with people one to one uh, as a therapist. Again, from the time I was my late teens 
um, for, for a number of years. So that was the first part of the journey. And then in the, I suppose in my twenties, uh, started to travel internationally, uh, got to start and work with the, the co-author, uh, the co-creator of NLP, the, the creative genius, Dr. Richard Bandler, and, um, got to, um, write a book with him that started a, a sort of, a a collaboration where from that, uh, you know, since then we've written a number of books together and been lucky enough to learn a lot from him as a, as a mentor in my life. Um, got a TV show in Ireland to, towards the end of my, you know, when I was around about 30 or so, which was a big deal in, in, in Ireland where I was, you know, once a week on national TV, working with people who struggle with time issues and time management and stress and all that. Um, and then kept working internationally, um, started doing acting and screenwriting just as a sort of an aside and just in short films, you know, won a couple of awards there and really loved that and enjoyed that. Um, and all along the way, just constantly reading, studying, applying, working with organizations. I've been working with organizations for just over 20 years or so um, on influence, on leadership, on communication, on motivation, on all those different things. Once again, getting the chance to take the theory and, and mesh it with the practice and um, implementing it. So um, the TEDx was another thing that blew up a lot of uh, a lot more business for me, like got a lot, a lot of business for me. And uh, because I did it in the whole thing in a poem, it was quite unique and different and got a lot of attraction. Um, decided I wanted to, to move to the States um, for a number of reasons and stuff like that in New York, you know, somewhere I'd always wanted to live. Um, and, and applied for a green card as a writer and managed to get that after a long process. Um, and so there I, I now find myself in in terms of New York, uh, originally from Dublin in Ireland, the best country in the world. I'm totally biased, the most beautiful country with the most beautiful people um, and now live in New York. And uh, yeah, I suppose now uh, do a number of things, have a number of online trainings, um, work with a lot of corporations, a lot of big sort of corporations from the financial sector, from the tech sector, from the commercial sector, from the pharma sector, um, helping them again to perform better, helping them communicate better impact and influence. Um, and a lot of the work I do with, you know, in some of the online stuff and, um, you know, some of the work that I'm working on at the moment in my podcast, Change of Minds, is on, you know, the, the relationship we have with ourselves. So I always try to communicate that um, what, what I'm about is about reality creation. So I'm helping people to be able to, you know, choose the reality that they're living in inside their head because we live in multiple realities all the time. Um, and, you know, it's about influencing yourself in that way and then influencing others, creating realities. When you sell something to someone, when you convince someone of something, you're, you're, you're getting them to buy into a reality. Um, and because we buy into our own realities and we get other people to buy into realities we create for them, that's the kind of the business that, I, that, that I'm in and, and I try to do it because I have to do it for myself all the time as well. And I think, you know, if as I go through the journey with all that, I've also traveled to just over 100 countries and, and that's, you know, been probably the greatest education of all because you learn so much because everyone, everywhere you go, you're, you're experiencing different cultures where people have very different, very different ways of how the world works, whether it's in North Korea, which was obviously an extreme example, or Afghanistan or Rwanda, or, you know, wherever it is I've been, it's, it's the experience that has enriched my sense of how you can look at the same situation in so many different points of view. And when I used to work as a therapist and now even as an executive coach or training or speaker or whatever, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to help people to realize the reality that you're living in right now doesn't need to be the only one. And in fact, isn't the only one. 
we do have a we we do have the option to be able to you know affect and impact the way we build our own realities and um from the area of neuroscience behavioral economics psychology a lot of the insights we get from there is helping us to understand how that works and just the final thing i'd say is the reason why i suppose i'm i'm easy enough to understand when i talk about these things and when we go in depth on them is because i've got a very simple way of thinking you know i'm i'm very strange for sure i've got a weird brain but it's quite a simple brain and and i need it to be simple and so when i read the research and study it i have to work hard to translate that into something that i can understand without doing a disservice to it um and that's probably why you know i've i'm lucky enough to to have a good ability to explain things quite simply um and i hope to do that today as well that's incredible i you know i i know that i've i knew that you traveled a lot and you've lived in different countries and you came over from ireland um I think that's absolutely essential in understanding humanity <laughs> is being able to travel. I've traveled, lived in different seven different countries and I'm so grateful for it because it really teaches you the inner internal representation that people, different representations that people have. And it gives you insight in depth and like, okay, it's not just about me in my world, in my culture, in my, you know, whatever, that is there's other representations out there that i need to honor and respect and i can learn from so um i love that you pointed that out um i love that you just said the reality and the reality in your head is not the only reality and i want to talk a little bit about that because i have a lot of clients that come to me that are in their heads and stuck in their heads and uh you know i say you know i help you get out of your your head and back in your body because people just dissociate and uh you create all kinds of problems when you're <laughs> in your head, right? As you probably, you know this. Um, and so some of the questions that I have is like, how do we change that reality? Um, the number one question I get from clients is how do I let go of the past? How do I stop? How do I get out of my head? How do I stop this negative self-talk? How do I turn off the rumination? And so I would like to hear from you your yeah your insight and perspective on that so i suppose it starts with the so we're going to step up a level right so when when we talk about let's say for example how do i let go now the the challenge is in the way we describe that right so if you think about what that means it means we're holding on and it might feel metaphorically like that but we don't actually hold on to anything right we'll, we'll probably get into a little bit later how the brain actually works you know in terms of why we think the way we do and, and why we create the, the the messed up ideas that we we create for ourselves but we don't actually hold on to something it just feels that way but as long as we say how do i let go it presupposes that we're holding on oh. and it presupposes that we have to somehow let go of it but the the reality is that there's a whole host of different um, challenges with that because again we don't really know physically we know like if I, if I hold up a pen and I say right how do I let go I know how to do that I can open my hand up and the pen drops but it's very difficult for us to know when we've successfully let go of a memory or a thought and that's why I try to get people to realize it's not about letting go it's about where is your attention going and 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 some people might argue and go well it's not just when I put my attention on there's also the unconscious stuff going on Right. So it's, it's like it's in the background, 
But on, on, until we put our attention on what's in the background, we don't really know that. Like the only reason that we believe it's in the background is because we theorize that it must be in a background because it, you know, it, it kind of makes sense to us in that way. And so what I'm trying to say is, is that the first step is to realize it's not necessarily about letting go. That can be a useful metaphor and some forms of therapy do talk about it. They get you to imagine this, uh, you know, negative event in the past. Imagine you sort of coming to terms with it, accept it, whether it's mindfulness or NLP interventions or timeline therapy or whatever. And what you do is you imagine it and then you imagine like, for example, you can imagine like that connection, that link from you to that, that, that memory. And then you imagine getting a scissors and cutting it and it's seeing it fa fading off. And for some people that can work because it serves their metaphor for what they need to do to letting go. For some people that doesn't work. And for the people that it doesn't work, um, I believe that it's about changing the way you think about it. So it's not about letting go. It's about where is your attention going? And so, so often we tend to buy into this idea that we are the victims of whatever happens to us. I'm the victims of my memory. I'm the victims of this bad relationship I had. I'm the victims of my own past choices I've made. So we get into a situation, we experience, let's say, a trauma, and then we say, I'm the victim of that trauma. Now, you might be the victim of the trauma, but using that belief about it doesn't serve us. And so what I try to do is, I, even, even when I was a therapist, I'm trying to get people to realize whenever you go, come into therapy, you're positioning yourself in one of three ways, a victim, a villain, or an extra. The extra is someone who's watching their life go by almost numb to it, like an observer that's irrelevant to their own life. So they're insignificant. But the majority of people come in as villains or victims. The victim says the reason I'm having the problem is because the world has messed me up, right? The past has messed me up. The trauma's messed me up. Other people have messed me up. Everything's messed me up. The villain is I've messed myself up. I'm the one who's destroyed my own life. I've ruined it. I'm not good enough. I never was able to do this. I made bad choices, you know, it's too late now for me. So, and a lot of times it's a combination of those. So when we say I need to like let go of the past, the danger of that metaphor is that, like I said, it's, it's not something tangible enough for us to do. Whereas something like where you put your attention on is a lot more of it, in my mind at least, a more useful way of thinking. So what I would suggest is, let's say there's a trauma that you in commas need to let go of. The question would be, where is your attention when you think about that uh, trauma? Is your attention on the tension of that trauma, on the conflict of that trauma, on what that trauma has done to you? Because so often the meaning we give to the trauma is the problem, not the actual trauma. The trauma is horrendous, right? What we've gone through. But when we extrapolate a meaning from that, that's what tends to uh, dominate us in the present. And so the question is, how has that trauma actually affected you? And there's a there's a, a psychological process known as reappraisal, where we look at the, the 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 what we think is true or what we've experienced or our feelings, and we basically redefine them for ourselves. We start to go back and go, is it really true that this trauma has destroyed my life, or is it true that the meaning I've given to that trauma has destroyed my life? And we start to recognize the control to which we have over what has happened. And it doesn't mean that we blame ourselves for anything. It just means we recognize what we've been doing, the choices we've made as to the meaning we've extracted from that particular you know, event. Uh, Viktor Frankl in his famous book, you know, um, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about you know, logotherapy, which is the meaning that we find from experiences and finding meaning in suffering. 
and, and, and that being a vehicle to allowing us to survive. So when we look at it, in many ways, that's what we're kind of doing. We're extracting a meaning from our experiences that doesn't serve us. We're saying that as a result of this traumatic relationship I was in, I'll never find love. As a result of this traumatic experience I had with my parents, it means I'm never going to feel happy. As a result of this uh, you know, terrible experience I had, I'm never gonna be able to fly again. And we create a connection between what we've been through um, and what we experience in the present moment. And Why so do, me, I just sorry. gonna pause you. Why do we do that? Why do we do the, cause the absolutes, the like, oh, well, you know, uh, I got stood up on a date. I'm not lovable. Like we go to these extremes sure. of like, you know, oh, I spilled my drink all over me. Oh, I'm not yeah. lovable. I'm not lovable or whatever. Like what you're describing these absolutes. Mm -hmm. Why do we do that? So, so to, to, to explain why we do that, let's touch on, on the brain, right? So the brain is a prediction making machine. That's what it is. It, our brain is not designed to think. Our brain is designed to keep us alive. And our brain does that by predicting what's going to happen. And so, and this is really clearly articulated in um, seven and a half uh, lessons about the brain, right? By uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett and her previous book, How Emotions Are Made. She's a wonderful researcher and neuroscientist. And the way she explains things is sort of backed up by proper neuroscience. A lot of people still believe in the old triune brain. We got the animal brain, we got the emotional brain, we got the, that really doesn't stand up to actual, it has some metaphorical uses and can be valuable that way, but it's not really shown to be how the brain actually works. The way it works is our brain is designed to predict what's gonna happen next. And it does so by three things. Number one, it figures out what's going on in my body right now. So it, it's called interception. It looks into your body, uh, you know, and, and does an analysis of what's happening inside you. The second is extraception or through your senses. So you notice what's going on outside of you as well. And it feeds that information into your brain, which is in the black box in your head. And the other thing that your brain has is your memories, which it reassembles, reconstructs. So it reconstructs these memories to figure out what does the extra information you got from outside and inside mean about the situation so you can then make a better decision so you can take action and the action is twofold the action inside which is your emotion emotion and the action outside which is motion what actions you take so just to summarize your brain tries to predict what's going to go on it does so in a black box so it just has the information coming from the senses and information through the body and it merges that with memories we have or lessons we have or learnings we have to be able to figure out what's uh, going on and based on that it decides what we're going to feel and decides what we're going to do with that in mind when we ask the question when i say um, they didn't text me back which means i'm lovable and we go to that extreme why would that be so well it's often because of two things number one we learn these lessons and those lessons that we learn, most of them are accurate. So, you know, your brain predicts this is a chair. If I sit in it, I won't get hurt. Therefore, I'm going to sit in it. Your brain predicts if I jump out the window from my apartment, I'm going to die. Therefore, I won't jump. So the brain makes a lot of good decisions. Uh, in Daniel Kahneman's book, he uses the metaphor of system one and system two. Our brain likes to use system one. It tries to predict and it does so uh, using as little energy as possible because it consumes about 20% of the calories of our entire body. So therefore it has to be efficient. It's only when we make mistakes in this that there's a problem. And unfortunately, a lot of our automatic thoughts are thoughts that, make, uh, that we make mistakes on. So at a, at a very simple level, the reason that we 
get things wrong and the reason we make mistakes in our thinking is because our brain learns these lessons from memories and they're not necessarily always accurate it's like if someone says to you you're an idiot and, and two or three other people agree then it's very easy for you to go the lesson here is that i'm an idiot and you create a sort of an identity of yourself in that way and then because we our brain needs to be right about that it looks for evidence to prove that we're right and we dismiss evidence that contradicts us so we get that sense of certainty now the second part of your question is well why is it so extreme why do we go all, all you know so, so extreme on it and that's because the brain is attracted to the extreme that's why again in order for us to survive we have to pay attention to things that impact our emotions significantly especially negative things so we were surviving because there was the danger of the snake or the lion or the tiger or the bear so our brains needed to pay attention to the extreme nowadays the media is extreme social media is extreme celebrities talk in extreme language everything's dramatized even in in terms of you know the vernacular in terms of a typical american um, and i say american because a lot of the pop culture comes from there it's like oh my god i love you so much you're like the greatest person in the world and that's the norm of the way we talk now so if you're not extreme if you're subtle then you're going to be forgotten about you won't get attention uh, the things that get attention now are the polarizations you know, it, it's it's like uh, someone said recently, it's like um, uh, we, we, we look around the world and we think the world is full of horrible people, uh, you know, but it's really just full of, you know, the, 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 the horrible people we see are the loud ones. But there's so many good people and so many nuanced people that are not on one, one side or the other. They kind of have a nice nuanced view, but we don't hear from them. And the brain does the same thing. It's attracted to the dramatic. And so it wants to protect us. So it, it in a in a messed up self sabotage way, it goes to the extreme. It must, I'm not lovable, thinking to itself, well, if I believe I'm not, not lovable and then I am loved, well, then I'll, then I'll be happier, right? Whereas if I believe I might be loved, then I'm subject to disappointment. So it goes to the extreme in order to protect us in that way. Um, and so that's why a lot of people will have one incident and extract a really dark, you know, devastating meaning from it but i'll say one other thing oftentimes shireen it's the state that we're in that leads us to that conclusion so that the kind of the work that i've been doing especially lately has been looking at how we are knocked into a certain state someone let's say for example undercuts you or let's say you're single and you get rejected and all of a sudden you go into this dark place and in this dark place you build a new reality and in that reality you're a piece of piece of crap and nobody will ever love you and you'll never be able to do anything and you see that not as i'm thinking negatively now where i'm being down on myself or i'm beating myself up or i'm talking negatively you don't think about it like that you think about it this is real this is the way the world is and as a result of the fact that this is the way the world is um my future is hopeless and pointless and i'll always be alone and you don't go i'm thinking negatively like i'll always be it's the reality it's the story you're telling yourself about what's going on. It's the entire meaning you're giving to it. And so the issue is, it's not that people are thinking negatively. It's that they're believing negatively. They're convinced of the negative reality when they're in that zone. And so as a therapist, when you help them to be able to look at things differently, when you help them to be able to put their attention on 
you know, the other potential meanings of a situation, when you get them to be able to recalibrate and, and look at the same events and, and go over them and try to change the way they feel about them, like you might do in a number of therapies, what you're trying to get them to do is to get them to realize at a fundamental basis, this reality that they're building for themselves is not the way the world is. And it's not that you will be able to tell them what is the way the world is, but, but it's just you're trying to get them to doubt this negative reality so that they've the chance to believe in something other than that. They've the chance to see maybe things can be better. Maybe I will meet somebody. Maybe everything can be okay. Maybe this trauma doesn't need to define me. Maybe I don't have to be lost and locked and limited by the the the, the laborious experience of of uh, the same old situation at work every single day, maybe I can do something different. And it's, it's as a good therapist, you're trying to get them to understand the way they construct these realities so that they have a chance to be able to change it. Does that make, make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that was kind of leads into like a couple of my other questions is, is, you know, how, how do people change that reality? How do you, you know, especially you're telling us that you are programmed to go to that extreme. So how do you how do you change that? So so there's a few things. Number one, you have to look at like, again, the beginning part of the picture. So there's the interception and there's the extraception. So it's what you're seeing on the outside and what you're feeling on the inside. And so your emotional state is driven initially by what's going on inside your body. And so that's why things like exercising regularly, things like eating healthy, things like meditating, things like sleep, things like getting out into nature, things like spending time around pets, things like spending time around people that are good for you. All of these things aren't just, oh, that makes me feel positive. It literally affects what's going on in your body. And so the way Lisa Feldman Barrett talks about it, she says, we've got a body budget and the body budget is either in surplus when we feel good or it's in deficit when we feel bad. And so our jobs are to try to regulate that body budget. And to do that, we need to put investments into our body. Um, and, you know, sometimes there'll be the costs. So when you're in an argument with someone that costs you some of your mental energy. And when you're being praised by someone or loved by someone or sleeping with somebody, then that is an investment in your body budget. So the first thing is to be able to look at what am I doing to make sure physically I'm in the optimal state possible how am i taking care of my body because that's going to in turn take care of my brain so that's step one step two would be then to look at when i go into these realities what are the what are the triggers that tend to, to trigger me into feeling this way and what are the stories i'm telling myself and to start to acknowledge their stories so to start to track when you're in this reality, even even journaling down what is going on for me right now, what are my thoughts and stuff like that, and, and journaling the whole thing out. And then over time, let's say, for example, a few days later, when you're feeling, you know, back to your best or back to good again, then you start to write down what's really true for yourself. And then you compare the two realities and you recognize, shit, th th these are totally different. It's like two people that live in a totally different world. It's like watching CNN and Fox News. It's like two <laughs> totally different worlds that people are living in. There's not, there's not even an iota of difference. And then you ask yourself the question, if I was watching, let's say, either CNN all the time or Fox News all the time, and I wanted to stop being brainwashed by that, what would I do? And the answer would be you would put your attention on all of the areas where that's not right. You would put your attention on the nuances and you would try to build a more accurate story that describes what's really going on. 
So you would look at this and you would look at how you feel when you're at your best and you would start to ask yourself, what story uh, do I need to tell myself about what's going on that's more empowering to me, that's more useful to me than this, right? So you go, what is the result of me buying into that reality? Because the first step, like we said, well, after your physiology or after your physical body is you need to realize it's a story. You need to realize the reality you're creating is not reality. It's the reality you're creating. And when you write it down and then you compare it to what you've written down when you um, when you're uh, when you're in a totally different frame of mind, you, you understand that you go, how can the same issue, which is my relationship history, be totally different when I'm feeling this way versus when I'm feeling that way? And then it, it gets to your mind and you go, this is like this is what I was thinking and feeling. This is what I'm thinking and feeling now. And if I'm in another state of something else happens, let's say. Let's say you write it when you're uh, when when you've been ghosted, which is a horrible thing that people get because that builds up all this uncertainty for people. So you've been ghosted with someone you've dated for four months and you you you're in a very dark place and you write out all this stuff. A few weeks later, you're back in the dating scene and you, you, you have a nice date and everything's good. Right. But it's nice. You write down your relationship experience then, right? Then a few weeks later, you've been dating this person. You're madly in love. They're madly in love with you. You just had the most incredible night with them. Uh, you know, slept together. It's been amazing off the charts. The two of you shared intimate d details. You've barely got any sleep. You know, cuddle. It's uh, incredible. And then you write it out that stage. Now you're talking about your love life. You're talking about relationships. You're talking about romance. And you look at those three things. And I guarantee you, you're going to see it's like written by three different people, like unbelievably different. And so once again, if you look at that, then you get the chance to recognize at a very simple level, the next time you go into that darkness, now you have the reference point where, which says, you know, this is not reality. This is the reality I'm experiencing like I was before. And you can even go back over those and recognize this is the story I'm cultivating based upon the feelings that I'm feeling. And that to me is, 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 is magical because it gives you the chance to realize that you, you need to rethink and second guess your own assumptions, your own beliefs, your own story that you're telling yourself about it because it's informed only by your emotional state. And it's not about immediately changing the state because some people will say, oh, all you need to do is this. There's, not a, there's no such thing as all you need to do. It's different for different people. But to me, what helps everybody is understanding you don't have to be brainwashed by your own thoughts. You don't have to allow your own insecurities to, to, to pipe up. Um, one of the things we do is when we're in that zone, we use everything as evidence. So when I'm in my dark place, everything, I'm a, I, I knew it. I had this good feeling. We're all like, I knew it for my good feeling. Well, you did have a good feeling, but you don't really know if that was your good feeling or if it was just a feeling. It's very hard for you to distinguish the difference. And your feelings aren't facts. Right. Some of your feelings are full of evidence or sorry, sorry. Some of your uh, feelings are um, useful education for you. You can learn from them. But the problem is we learn the wrong lessons sometimes from our emotions. So when we feel something, sometimes we go that feeling means and then we say that I never should have done this in the first place. But sometimes that feeling is nothing to do with guidance or wisdom. Sometimes that's feeling just a pattern. So why do I feel insecure in my relationship? Well, it's because there's something wrong with the relationship. Or why do I feel insecure in a relationship? Because the last three relationships led me to the point where 
whenever there's any ambiguity because I got cheated on before, now I feel insecure. So we don't know whether that insecurity is as a result of the current relationship or the past relationships, because once again, everything's meshed up. And so the one of the big issues I see in, in modern you know, work in this area is we go with the, just go with your feelings, go with your good, go with your this. I'm like, okay, the good is brilliant. I'm not saying it doesn't have great wisdom. The problem is how do you know when it's your good and how do you know when it's not a pattern emotional response you've had for ages? Sorry, I'm talking way too much. No, but I, I love this, but how do you know? I literally, I literally had a scenario happen the other day where I went on a hike and I didn't feel good about it. And I was racking my brain. Why? Because I love hiking. I love being in nature. And I just like, the trail was like, we kind of got lost and we went off of it, which is like, fine. I'm an adventure person. And for the next two days, I was like, was it my inner child? You know, like, was I scared? I was like, was it my ADD? Because it was too much stimulation. Was it, was it my gut instinct? Was it my intuition? Was it like, because I felt uneasy and I was like, was it my insecurity? Did I not feel safe enough? Like, I'm trying to figure out what is it? Was it a pattern? Do I have a history of, you know, getting lost on hikes that's coming up? Like, how do we know what it is? The, the, the answer is we don't. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we, we don't until we get proven right. So, so let's say, for example, something, let's say, for example, you, you had a, a, you know, a feeling. And then some, something happened, right? And you decided not to do it, right? So so have you ever seen the movie Final Destination? It's a horror movie, um, but basically the very beginning of it, um, there's these students and they're all on a plane and this student gets a premonition something's gonna go on. So he gets off the plane and a bunch of them get off the plane and the plane goes up and explodes. And so, and then that starts like death chases them. It's, it's very funny and very crazy. But in that, like, let's just say it's a good feeling. Um, Luke Skywalker in, in, in Star Wars, that a large part of the force is go with what you feel. So we almost elevate the level of good. And if you look at it, the good feeling definitely has wisdom. The um, scientific understanding, let's say, of a lot of people about good is that uh, good is almost like the unconscious assimilation of knowledge transformed into a feeling of wisdom, which allows you to know when something. So it's like, in his book, Blink, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about how a lot of decisions are made so quickly because once again, we get um, we get these initial intuitive you know, insights about what's going on. The problem is, if you feel feelings, it's very easy for you to assume that they're good feelings and potentially create the very scenarios that you're thinking of. So for example, you get a good feeling that says there's something wrong here and then that in turn makes you act as if there's something wrong, which in turn makes you create something wrong. Or let's say, for example, you get a good feeling with this and this time something does go wrong on the hike. And all of a sudden you said, oh, I should have listened to my gut. Whereas, you know, you weren't sure if this was your gut afterwards because nothing bad happened. So it's it's very difficult for us to say definitively if it is. But the answer to me isn't about whether or not it's your gut or your feelings. The answer is what and Daniel Kahneman said about the good, which is, and I'm, I'm abbreviating here, but it's basically when you're making a decision, it's a good idea for you to look to the evidence first and then go to your gut to back up the evidence, as opposed to going to your gut first and then looking at the evidence to see if it lines up. So a lot of people go, this is what I feel. Now, what does the data say? 
The problem is now you're already in the confirmation bias spectrum. Whereas when you go to the data first, what does the data say? And then what does my good say? Good say? The good can sometimes add more information from that. Um, and it just helps you make sure that you're getting as much value from your inner wisdom as you do from the outside wisdom as well. I just think, you know, for me, going with your good is great in a lot of cases and, and making decisions. The problem is there's this, I, I don't know, um, uh, exaltation of the power of the gut, like it's this magical thing. And, and it is really great and wonderful. But our feelings are, you know, sometimes our feelings are just patterns from the past. And if we listen, if I listen to my feelings about everything, even in relationships, at the beginning of a relationship, sometimes you listen to your feelings, you want to do all this crazy shit, you want to, oh, I want to tell them this, and I want to say this to them, I want to say that. And that's a surefire way to get them running faster than you saying bolt away from you. You know, like there's certain feelings that you got to go, no, I feel like I want to do this. But if I do, it's going to lead to consequences. Just like, you know, you want to throttle someone, you want to punch someone in the face because they're being so horrible. Again, you have to stop and not go with your feeling in that tape, uh, in that case. And so I think sometimes we need to, uh, again, a therapist friend of mine said, you know, you need to stop, you know, stop making your feelings so important. And that that kind of sounds messed up because, you know, we need to We're take driven care. by emotions, though. We, we are driven by emotions, but that doesn't mean the emotions are correct. And as long as we start to turn around and start to assume that the emotions are, you know, the, 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 the most important factors, we make the mistake of making decisions based upon, let's say, a temporary emotion. It's like, you know, if you if you if you want to eat the, the cupcake, uh, you know, and you're trying to go on a diet. Well, the, in many ways, we're doing what it is that we feel. We're going with our feelings. If you really go with your feeling, you're going with the feeling to engage in the non-useful behavior. And so I'm not saying prioritize logic over emotions at all, because I think both of them are always intertwined and even logical decisions involve the use of emotion. You know, you can't separate them really um, from each other. What I'm saying, though, is as long as we start to believe that emotions are everything and we need to just listen to our feelings and listen to your heart and everything like that. I just think those platitudes, uh, you know, they just don't work in in so many situations. Um, and I think sometimes they, 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 they can make things worse. And so the antidote to that is to be able to look at what are you feeling and listen to your feelings and understand your feelings as best you can. Um, but but begin to start to look at what what is the story you're telling yourself about your experience right now? What do you, what what reality are you building? And then ask yourself: Is this reality helping help helping me get closer to what I want, or is it moving me further away from it? If that makes sense. Yeah, because I want to point out you remember going back with the whole three stories of of you know I was ghosted and cheated on, and then okay I had a date, but it was okay, and then you had this magical date. How would you? how do you take a reality in your mind and keep moving that reality forward? So you got these three realities. It sounds like somebody, you got three different people in the scenario, but it's you. And if you're like, no, I want to keep this reality going. What do you do to keep that reality going? So first of all, the awareness that is three realities gives you a big step up because okay. now all of a sudden you're no longer thinking to yourself, I am, you know, I'm living my reality as in I'm in my reality and this is it. Now you're realizing I'm authoring my reality. And when you realize I'm authoring my reality, then you get the chance to go, well, what reality do I want to author? 
And then you get, I need it to be true. Well, out of these three things, is there anything that's true across all three of them? Is there anything that I know unequivocally that I can say this is true? And then what, what is the impact of all three? So if I keep believing scenario one, if I keep believing scenario two, if I keep believing scenario three, if I keep believing all three of those, where does that lead me to? And then you start to craft what you want it to be. And it doesn't mean you'll always believe in that, but you create the kind of story that you would want to have reminding your, it's a little bit like, um, let's say for example, you, um, you struggle with, um, let's say you got lost camping, right? And you were terrified and you had an awful time. You went away from there and you're like, oh my God, that was the worst ever. And then you went back with a really experienced camper and he or she was, was talking to you and saying, and you were in the same situation, but this time, uh, this person said to you, Shireen, here's what you do in this situation. I know you're worried about the bears, but here's how we protect the bears and here's what we do. So basically he or she would be educating you as to how to deal with that. Then in the future, you go camping and you're in the same situation where you were in the first place, but this time you have the lessons, the learnings, the insights, the reflections of what happened when you were with this person. And that's what I'm sort of saying is, is, is that when, I, when I'm going back, let's say for example, you're in this amazing love relationship and then all of a sudden you get broken up and you get let down and you get this and that and the other. What a lot of people will do is they'll go back from scenario three back into scenario one very quickly. But I'm saying when you have them written out like that and you can see the different realities, now you can learn some of the lessons from scenario two and scenario three to get you to realize, I know it seems like scenario one is the reality, but actually you've been in scenario two before and you've been in scenario three before. And what are the things you learn from scenario two or three that can help you to change scenario one? So it's not always about me going, okay, uh, you know, my girlfriend just broke up with me. I'm devastated. My heart's broken. Um, but, you know, now I'm going to be the author of my rea reality and I don't care and I'm going to be successful and happy. It's not about that. It's about what can I do to make the pain not as impactful as it used to be, to make the reality a little bit more colorful than it was, a little bit more hopeful than it was, a little bit more helpful than it was, a little bit more worthwhile than it was, something that makes me feel I can get through this um, and, and I'm not as bad as I thought. And, you know, the evidence before me is in the experiences I've had, the other stories I've told, the other realities I've built. So how can I make this reality move me a little closer to a reality which which helps me to get through this the way I need to. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Would you say that's why timeline therapy is such an effective therapy? I, I think for sure. I think timeline therapy works well for the simple reason that it gets you to change the way you feel about a past event and therefore you get to look at it differently. And also if you if you go back into the past event, basically timeline therapy for the listeners would be, you know, you get the person to um, imagine themselves going back to a, let's say a past time, bring in resources like for example, states of confidence and determination and resilience and whatnot, and to be able to experience those feelings while they go through some of those negative events that they went through. So it's almost like they can either change the event itself and what happened, to get themselves to sort of reappraise the, the story or the situation, or that they can just experience the same thing that happened, but feeling differently, which again, puts a different tilt, uh, tint on it. And I think in both those cases, uh, you change the way you feel about the past, which in many ways, the past do, does two things. Number one, it can be used as evidence to beat you up in the scenario one story. 
And number two, it creates a negative feeling, which unconsciously can act as a trigger. So, you know, that can be confused with your gut. So um, your insecurities in the present are as a result of this trauma that happened to you in relationships in the past. You know, your relationship with your father or mother, uh, that the negative feeling of them not accepting you, or whatever, can then turn up in your relationships unconscious to you. And so when you change the feeling so you feel secure as you have those interactions with your mother or father, then it's less likely to show up the same way in terms of your present, which, which is why it's useful. Um, the, the only issue uh, with why I believe that the reality building is, is even more powerful is because with the timeline, oftentimes what we're doing is we're dealing with specific events. And even if we generalize and we say, oh, and this filters out and changes all the other events, we're still, you know, fixing specific feelings or tackling specific issues. Whereas when you recognize you're the author of your own story, and that story is, you know, vastly different depending on what emotional state you're in, then I think you've got even more depths to go to, to go into with that. That's amazing. Awesome. Okay, just quickly, what would you say, can you give one tip to the audience um, to, to to help them create the reality they want or how to create the mood that they want or this emotional state they want. What is your favorite thing to do to do that? So, so, I mean, there's, there's a million things, but you know, first of all, there's two things. So let's talk about the feelings and then we'll talk about the reality. So in terms of changing the way you feel, there's certain things that you do that are, that we all know are good for us. So there's certain exercise, there's uh, eating healthy, there's getting enough sleep, there's a rest, all the stuff we mentioned earlier any of those things don't consistently but it's the consistency that's the key so it's not the, this oh i've done this course now i'm all motivated and inspired i'm going to do it make it part of your routine make breaks part of your routine make uh, going to bed at a, at a reasonable hour and waking up and getting enough sleep part of your routine make drinking lots of water part of your routine make spending time with you know people that you love and make you feel good part of your routine they shouldn't be like you know we, we have this idea of self-care and and it's kind of like you know, it's like a luxury. It shouldn't be a luxury. It should be a necessity. And so I prefer to call self-care managing your energy because everyone would kind of agree we need to manage your energy. Whereas people sort of see self-care as, oh, I should, you know, uh, I should engage in more self-care. No, you should, you should see this as mandatory. So I would say looking after your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, spending time around things and people that make you feel good, nature, all of that has been shown beyond shadow of a doubt to be very good for your nervous system. Um, again, you know, people themselves are the best and the worst thing that can happen to your nervous system, right? Um, and so, and, and that's what, you know, I've heard a number of times. Um, so we need to be co conscious of what are we doing to ourselves and for ourselves on a regular basis. And then in terms of the stories or the realities we set for ourselves, the first most important thing is the next time you find yourself in a dark place, thinking dark thoughts, being anxious or depressed or worrying or stressing, just remind yourself of like, you could even label it as in the, you know, we talk about being in a mood. Well, well describe it as I'm, I'm in a mood. Therefore, this is my mode. This is my mode of describing it. And when you start to see it as a mode of how you're describing in that moment in time, what invariably happens is you realize just because I'm feeling it doesn't mean it's true. Like I have a saying where depression is a liar. 
It convinces you of this world that doesn't exist. In my TED talk, I talked about inner propaganda. What does all this have in common? What it has in common is just because you think it does not make it true. Just because you believe it does not make it true. Just because you feel it does not make it true. And because it's not true, then you realize you don't have to believe in it. Your brain is predicting it and guessing. Your brain spends its entire life guessing. And we guess about stuff that we're pretty 99.9% .9 accurate at, which is, I guess that if I jump off the balcony, I'll die. But you also are guessing about everything else. And most of it is like 50%, 40%, 30%, 20% likely to be true. And so when you know that your thinking is guessing and your reality is not reality, it's a reality you're constructing, that gives you the chance to realize maybe, just maybe I'm wrong. And being wrong gives you the freedom to figure out not necessarily what's right, but what's good for you. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I know we're, you know, don't have a lot of time today. So I just want to quickly if, give you the opportunity. If people want to find you, where can they find you? Um, yeah. Want to sure. consume more of you or what do you got? So, so I've got my podcast, which I'm regularly doing, uh, changing minds podcasts on Spotify, uh, you know, Apple podcasts or iTunes or whatever, and, and all that sort of stuff. I've got my website, owenfitzpatry.com, O-W-E-N-Fitzpatry.com. And uh, I've also got, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn um, and, and all that. So yeah, and Clubhouse as well. Yeah, coming up, you know, in the yeah. next minutes and stuff. Awesome. So. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I'd love to have you back again. And Absolutely. Um, it's been, I feel like there's so much more we could dig into, but uh, so appreciate it. And so thanks so much. You're very welcome, Shireen. It's been my pleasure. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Inner Mind Podcast. If you have any questions or want to know more about my Transform Your Mind, Transform Your Life packages, you can email me at shireen at innermindperformance.com. You can find more life-changing content on my website, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Innermind Performance. If you like what I'm saying, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review and share this with a friend as knowledge is powerful. Yeah.